Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. How are we going to show God that we are truly ready for revival? Well, that's what brought this study aboard. You know, that's why we're doing this. And if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're going to look at some of the conditions that God places on the outpouring of revival. All right? So the the Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Oh praise God. Make sure I got the right page here. Second Chronicles I was in six. Okay. Seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and then will I forgive their sin, and then I will heal their land. I put a couple extra thens in there for emphasis. First of all, God is looking for people to revive, isn't he? If my people... Not if people in America will pray. No, he says, my people. These are those who are already born again. It is not going to take a nationwide sweep of 330 million people to simultaneously pray. If let's Remember the... Remember the statistic I just gave you? Let's say 75% of Americans... Where's my calculator? 75% of Americans of 330 million people are claiming to be Christian. That's 247,500,000 professed Christians. But yet out of that, 25% which would make it 61,875,000 are truly born again using this, these statistics. 
It's not going to take the $330 million. It's not going to take the $275 million. It will take the $61 million. And as a percentage, we'll just might as well do this. That's 18%. Almost 19%. We'll call it 20. How about that? Easy numbers. If 20% of the people in America would pray this prayer earnestly by what we call it from the bottom of our hearts, truly believing, God would hear the prayer and spare this land. He said so. Amen? So, you know, God is looking... For someone who wants to be revived. <clears throat> you know, we talk about holding revival at church. How can I say this nicely? Revival does not mean the same thing as it did a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, if you were having revival, it was the pastor's attempt to bring spiritual renewal to his town and community. The plan might be the same in today's American churches, but how many of these churches... With today's modern transportation systems. You see, back 100 years ago, there might be a population of 2,000 people in this town. It might have four churches, five churches tops. And 90% of the people were going to church. So when a church held revival for their community, 90% of the people were going to turn out. And it was designed to spiritually renew the energy being used in that community, serving God. Well, now we hold revival, and within a 15-minute drive of, we'll just use our area here as an example, a 15-minute drive, we could have access to half a million people. Let's be very conservative, 50,000 people. And we're going to hold revival in our church. And let's say it's a five-day revival or a week-long revival. The first day of revival, you might have, you know, you're going to start Sunday night right after church. You know, I mean, you know, church during the day. And then Sunday night begins the revival. And it's going to run all the way through Saturday night. Every night you're going to have a revival. Who usually attends? Members of the church. And the first night, let's say there's 200 people that attend church. The first night there might be 120 people there. Monday night, 80. Tuesday night, 50. Wednesday night, because that's the night we're supposed to go to church anyway, you might have 120 again. Thursday night, maybe 40. Friday night, maybe 30. 
Saturday night, well, we'll get a few more because this is the last night. He might hit 80 or 90. But you're not going to get all 200 involved. Why? Because they don't see themselves as needing revival. And it's just the church that's attending. A very few non-church members will attend a revival. You have to leave the four walls of your church. You need to go out into the community to get true revival. Hold public park meetings. Yes, there's a lot of effort involved in that instead of just opening the doors to the church. But are you really trying to reach your section of America for spiritual revival? Amen? God says he's looking for somebody to revive. If my people. If we belong to God, we should be doing what he says. Jesus said, I do no works by myself. I only do what I hear my father do. Or I'm sorry, I only do what I see my father do. And I only say what I hear him say. The if, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, the if here is the beginning of the conditions that God is looking to be met before he will even act. Now, that does not mean that some citizen can cry out to God, drunk as a skunk in the gutter, and says, oh God, save me, forgive me. It's not saying God will not answer those prayers. He will immediately answer those prayers. We're talking about sending revival, a major revival to America. Amen. This has to be met. This if has to be met before God will do anything. It's clear that he is issuing a conditional promise to the born-again Christians. Do these things and I will act. God has an expectation of specific things before these things need to happen before he will bring revival. These promises are only for those who place their complete trust, which is called what? Faith in God. God is speaking here in 2 Chronicles 7.14. God is speaking directly to the believers. Nobody else. God's not talking to 330 million Americans. He's talking mainly to the, what was it, 61 million true Christians in America. He's talking only to the believers. In America or whatever nation you are in. You might be living in Pakistan and you are only representing 5% of your population. He is only talking to you, the 5%. He's not talking to the 95% Muslims that have, you know, once they get born again, then revive. No. If you are only 5% of the population of your country, God's talking to you if you're a believer. This is not an American gospel. Jesus was not an American 
to the shock of many Americans. Jesus was not a United States citizen to the shock of many Americans. Amen. Jesus was not white with blue eyes and blondish brown hair. He looks more, and I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. He, <laughs> okay, Lord. Jesus was chuckling right there. He said, go ahead and tell him. I said, all right. He had an olive gold complexion. If you took someone from the nation of India, that is about the complexion of Jesus. He didn't have this European features to him. Amen. Where did that come from? That came from the Catholic Church in Rome. Jesus was not white. Let's just get that out of your system right now. I'll probably get some hate mail on that one, but truth is truth. Amen. If you can't handle it, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Amen. Anyway, we must understand that revival in 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is an exclusive deal that God offers only to his people. We often forget that the work of revival always begins with God's people first. Why? Why, Brother Bob? Why is that? Well, God must first renew his people before the real work of winning the world can take place. You see, the work of revival must begin with God's own people, but is never meant to stop with God's own people. And that is the problem you often see in churches today. They'll hold, like we said, a week-long meeting, a week-long revival or something like that. But usually it's only their church folk coming out. They do not convince their neighbors to come to church. They don't drag people off the street or co-workers. I mean, after all, we want to be pushy and labeled as a wacko or something. Revival, in order for revival to be long-lasting... And to truly make an impact on our nation and the world, we as Christians must reach outside the four walls of the church. We cannot just keep inside our own little clique. And excluding everybody else. Oh God, bless our four and no more. The church. What is a term that's used to describe a church building? Often it's called a sanctuary. And that has such a spiritual term to it. Let us go into the sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? 
You know, we have bird sanctuaries and wildlife sanctuaries. What is a sanctuary? It's a place where these specific birds are kept safe or specific animals are kept safe. So, a sanctuary of a church is a place where the people of God can go and feel safe. It is not the place for soul winning and witnessing and all that. It is a place where we can come and you should be entering a spirit of revival every Sunday because you're so burned out witnessing the people during the week. Now on Sunday you come back to get revived so Monday morning you can go right back to it. That's the purpose for the church. You know, the first Christians had to hide out in caves and things like that. Met in private homes and it was all secret. Because as they met together privately like that, secretly, they felt safe. Because they were amongst their own brethren. If they would have just kept the gospel to themselves, it would have died out when the last one died. But no, the church was growing rapidly because the disciples and the born-again believers wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Why do we think we're different and the requirements for revival are different than what was taking place back then? Back in 2 Chronicles 7.14 again, it says, If my people, we, we harped on that, who are called by my name, God calls us out from among the world. Being a Christian means that we are meant to stand apart, stand separate from the rest of the world. The rest of the world can see you are a Christian. The rest of the world will look and see how God blesses you and takes care of you and provides for you. But if you want to look like the rest of the world, expect to receive the rest of the world's punishment. All this come as you are, church. Yeah, that's okay. The idea, the concept behind it's the same. But let me ask you this. If you received an invite to have dinner with the President of the United States in the White House, would you come wearing shorts, flip-flops, and some disgusting t-shirt? Or would you dress nice? Well, I mean, Brother Bob, after all, you're going to the White House. Hello! We're going to the very throne of the Most High God! The concept behind Come As You Are was invented by this purpose-driven church crowd to appeal to those on the outside. Well, come to church. Well, I don't have nothing to wear. Just wear what you want. It doesn't matter. We're a cool church, man. We're hip, yeah. We got lattes and donuts and things like that and you know, so they're trying to get people in. But you should not leave in the same condition that you came in. If you are a come-as-you-are church and you have people dressing 
like they're going to a picnic every single Sunday, you got to question whether or not they're really saved. I mean that, I'm speaking that in love, but I know I'll step on some toes, but get over it. I have a desire to be my best in God's presence. My best is like filthy rags. I understand that. But that doesn't mean I have to wear filthy rags to church. Amen. We must live differently, dress differently, talk differently than the world because we value different things. We value an eternal promise and we value a different lifestyle. That's where the Catholics fall short because they believe they can go and say their confession, receive repentance or repentance or whatever they call that stuff, and they're good for another week. They'll go right back to cussing and drinking and all the other things. We are called, folks, to be a holy priesthood where every believer carries the responsibility for ministry. Every believer, not just the pastor or the elders board or whatever. We're called to be witnesses for Christ in this world and to share his truth and boldly seek and use his power to spread the gospel. We are to be known by a new name. Whenever a person comes to Christ, they are a new creation, glory to God, and are given the opportunity from that moment on to live a transformed, eternal life. When we come to Christ, we need to become associated with his name. We become a Christian, little Christ. Every single person who claims to know Jesus either lists his name up or tears it down in the eyes of the world. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Oh, Lord, time's just flying by. Next, we must look to God to be revived. He says, if my people will humble themselves. Why does God desire for his people to humble themselves. The word humble means to be in submission, to live in a state of constant surrender. When we humble ourselves, we are literally saying to God, you, God, are in control of my life. To be humble means to be brought low. Remember that simple prayer that even Roberts prayed? Bend me, O Lord. When we humble ourselves before God, we're allowing him to bend us to his will. What happens when God bends us? I don't have time to turn to each of these scriptures, but you need to write them down and remember them when you do your Bible study. Bending. Number one, bending opens us to his guidance. That's Psalms 25, verse 9. Bending allows us to know the grace of God. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Bending gives us a gentle heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Bending leads us to true greatness, Matthew 23, 12. Bending gives us spiritual garments, 1 Peter 5, 5. And bending gives way to eternal glory, Philippians 2, verse 8. Once we allow God to bend us, we cannot remain the same. It's impossible to remain the same. 
He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray. One of the key principles of revival is a concerted effort to pray. When we pray, we are bringing our lives to intersect with God in the moment that we meet God. And when we meet God in prayer, something amazing happens. He pours himself into our lives. We begin speaking his words, and his words begin to come to pass. That's why prayer is so absolutely essential to experiencing revival. Amen? Prayer is the foundation of a growing relationship with God. And without prayer, that relationship will never grow. We we need to go deeper with God if we ever want to experience true revival in our personal life. Each and every day, we make a decision to either build up that relationship with God or to settle for the status quo of where we are now in our relationship with God. You see, the principle of prayer is supposed to flow out of the New Testament church. I mean, in Acts 1.14, you see, prayer needs to be a continuous aspect of the church. Prayer was a major part of the life of the early church. Acts 2.42 shows us that. Prayer is vital to seeing God display his power and greatness. That's in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I would venture to say that, at least in America, the church is lacking in all of those areas. Amen. Does that offend you? Good. Because I meant it to. I'm not here to try to tickle your ears and make you feel good. Especially if you're a preacher listening to me. When's the last time you canceled your sermon series... When's the last time you canceled the praise and worship and just spent two hours in a prayer service? When is the last time you called for a week of special prayer meetings? When's the last time that you actually have someone come forward during the service because they needed prayer? When's the last time you prayed for someone's healing and they received it instantly, in church, publicly? If you cannot answer any of those questions, perhaps you, pastor, you, preacher, need to spend some quality time before the Lord in prayer yourself. Amen. Go ahead, write me your letters. I don't care. That's from the Holy Spirit. Amen. You see, revival is nothing more than God stepping into his relationship with you and filling you with his presence and his power in a fresh way that that you haven't experienced before. If you are not developing that kind of relationship with God, you will never experience personal revival. Amen. 
You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.